Will you pray with me? O oh God, in the stillness, come meet us. Amen. So I want to tell you about my baptism this morning. I was baptized on April 23rd, according to my parents, 1982, the year I was born. Now you can all calculate my age. At Centralia United Methodist Church. Here's a picture of it. My parents holding my big sister. There's me, I'm the baby. And the Reverend Cleo Coppins. He is the pastor who baptized me. And of course, as we always do in baptism, he scooped the waters out of the baptismal font, placed those waters on my head in the name of the triune God. Now, because I was a child, even a baby, when I was baptized, my parents answered those historic questions of Christian faith on my behalf. They promised to renounce the spiritual forces of wickedness, to reject the evil powers of this world, and repent of their sin. They promised to accept the freedom and power that God gives them to resist evil, injustice, and oppression in whatever forms they present themselves. And they confessed their belief in Jesus and his life-giving way of life. And they promised to raise me in that faith. And I love how our baptismal liturgy in the Methodist Church, the promise is, will you raise this child in the way that leads to life eternal? So my parents stood there with me, and later on, I was confirmed in middle school. I had the opportunity to answer those questions for myself. But, as we always do in baptism, it wasn't just my parents that answered questions. The whole congregation of my home church surrounded me, promising that they would help my parents raise me in the way that leads to life eternal. So as I grew up, I can name so many ways that my home church lived out the vows that they made at my baptism. And I think that they knew how to do this in part because of the pastoral leadership of Reverend Cleo Coplitz. Now, I grew up in a Methodist church, and so, as we know, right, pastors itinerate. And so Reverend Kotwitz was not the pastor that I remember growing up as a young child. I, I reconnected with him later on when I was a youth. But he was one of the pastors, according to my parents, who had a very deep impact on my home church. With his leadership, the congregation became active in mission and service and justice work in a way that they had not been before. He challenged them to take their baptism seriously. And Reverend Kotwitz, he wasn't scared about talking to them about the presence of evil, injustice, and oppression in their community and the world and the power that they had from God to do something about it. And so he named a lack of adequate, affordable housing, and the congregation began helping to build homes with Habitat for Humanity. He named poverty and hunger as a global issue, and they began raising money for the work of Heifer International around the world. The people of my home church showed me Christian life and faith. They taught me the stories of Jesus. They asked me hard questions. They encouraged me to ask hard questions. They challenged me to join them in works of mercy and justice they invited me into mission and service. 
They encourage me to develop my own theology and to have ownership of my own faith life and relationship with God. My home church is the congregation that supported my call to ministry and affirmed that for me. They lived into their baptism by helping me to live into my baptism. All month long in January, we've been talking about a New Year's revolution, how our baptismal vows challenge us to live as people who turn the world upside down, people who work to bring about the world that God wants to see, people who fight against evil, injustice, and oppression in whatever forms they present themselves. One of my favorite metaphors for baptism is that baptism is like a doorway. It's like a doorway into the Christian faith. It's the beginning, not an ending, of a lifelong journey. And the waters of baptism give us this mission to create a revolution of love in the world. The waters of baptism mark us as God's beloved children. And the waters of baptism remind us that it is God who initiates and acts in our lives. And so when we take seriously the vows that we make at baptism, I think baptism in so many ways also becomes a doorway to a lifetime of joyful resistance and sustained resilience. Because in order to accept and live into the freedom and power that God gives us, to resist evil, injustice, and oppression in whatever forms they present themselves, we are going to need some joy and resilience along the way. Because if we don't have joy and resilience, we will become swallowed by the evil, injustice, and oppression. There's a quote on the front of your bulletin today that is going to be up here on the screen as well. It says, if there is magic on this planet, it is contained in water. The quote is from Lauren Isley. And when we baptize, we always use water. Water is symbolic of life, and there are so many scriptural reasons to use water. When the world was created, the book of Genesis tells us that the Spirit of God hovered over the waters, and then all of life came into being. And Exodus tells us that when the Israelites were escaping slavery in Egypt, the waters of the Red Sea parted, and they walked through the waters to safety. Jesus himself, the story we read from the Gospel of Matthew this morning, Jesus himself was baptized in the waters of the River Jordan by his cousin John. But if we think about it, magic is, water is also magic in our everyday lives. Our bodies could not survive without drinking water. The earth could not sustain itself without water. The plants and animals could not thrive without water. Water helps us wash away the germs and dirt from our hands that carry deadly diseases. Water is life. If there is magic on this planet, it is contained in water. And so when we use water in baptism, it's symbolic of new life And that renewed life, when we accept God's freedom and power in our own lives, 
It's symbolic of a cleansing in our lives, a washing away of sin and the evil powers of this world. It's symbolic of salvation and safety. It's symbolic of our joyful resistance and sustained resilience. Now, us Methodists, we are historically open to the method of baptism. We can actually immerse people or pour water on them or sprinkle water on them. So I'm just curious, by show of hands, was anybody here immersed? Was anybody? Oh, I love it. Many of you were immersed. And so was anybody poured on or sprinkled? Those are so similar. Many of us, yeah, especially babies, right, or usually we just sprinkle water. And so in our Methodist tradition, we believe that, that all of these methods of baptism are valid. Each one of them has a special theological significance. And it's thought that early Christians must have done a combination of these methods. There are catacombs where early Christians worshipped, and they have paintings on the walls of people being baptized. And these paintings show that, that early Christians were often baptized with a seashell, so they would wade into the, the font, but it wasn't deep enough for full submersion. And so the candidates of baptism would stand there and the, they would use a seashell to scoop up the water and to pour it on their person's head. And they did this because they thought you could get more water with a seashell than you could with your hands, especially if you were scooping it up. You know, it would trickle out between your fingers all the way up to the person's head. And so they wanted to, to have the more water, the better, to show the abundance of God's grace in our lives. And you all may have heard me talk about this before, that we use the shell. I like to use the shell when I baptize people here at Chum as well. And I love to talk about it in the sense that baptism reminds us that God's love never runs out on us. And if we were try, to try to use that seashell to, to empty a whole ocean of its waters, we wouldn't be able to do it. We couldn't empty the ocean of its water, and it's the same way with God's love. We cannot exhaust God's love in our lives. God's love won't run out. It won't dry up on us. We can't empty it or use it up. Now, during this series, we've been reading consecutive passages from the Gospel of Matthew. And so we've been hearing about Jesus' early life from Matthew's perspective. And in the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew doesn't dress up the story. It's real. It's raw. It shows so clearly the forces of evil and justice and oppression at work in our world. And last week, we finished with chapter 2, of Matthew. You may remember that in chapter 2 it details how the Magi came seeking a newborn king and this makes Herod scared and mad. And he orders a genocide killing all children under two years of age. But Mary and Joseph, they escape, they grab their toddler, they flee to Egypt in the dark of the night. And when Herod finally dies, Mary and Joseph return to Israel with Jesus, who is by now a young child. Now, they ended up settling in Nazareth in the middle part of the kingdom because they realized it wasn't safe for Jews to live near Jerusalem, where there had recently been lots of violence against Jews. That's where we left off last week, the end of chapter 2, and we read starting in verse 1 of chapter 3 today. 
But many years have actually passed between these two parts of the story because now Jesus is all grown up. He's no longer a child being cared for by his parents. He's an adult making his own way in the world. And he finds his cousin John waiting in the Jordan River, calling the people to repentance and doing eccentric things like eating honey and wild locusts. But the people are attracted to John anyway. They're attracted to his message about preparing the way of the Lord and making the Lord's paths straight. And I have to guess that all around them in their own lives, they could see the presence of evil, injustice, and oppression. And I have to guess that they must have wanted to do something about it. And so Jesus approaches John. He asks to be baptized. And John is astounded and humbled. He fumbles for words. He says he thinks it should be the other way around. But Jesus persists, and John baptizes him. And when Jesus comes up out of the water, something amazing and joyful happens. Here it is in Matthew's own words. And when Jesus had been baptized, just as he came up from the water, suddenly the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, the Beloved with whom I am well pleased. So here we see Jesus being claimed as God's beloved child in his baptism. And though Jesus certainly had a unique relationship as God's son, we believe that through baptism, we are also adopted into the family, that we also become God's beloved children. We become part of this eternal story of covenant and salvation. It's like we become part of the family. It's as if Jesus' family lineage and his genealogy that is captured at the beginning of the Gospel of Matthew becomes our family lineage and our genealogy in baptism. Now, I don't know about you, but when I was a kid, my family would tell me stories about relatives. I have lots of memories of this. At my grandma's house, it was a common occurrence to pull out one of those old-style slide projectors. There's a picture of one. You know those ones where you have the little cards and you have to put them in, like, right side up in the right order that you want to show them, and then, you know, you click that little button and it goes through each one. We used to watch those all the time. We used to look at photo albums at my grandma's house. It was a favorite pastime. And I remember one really distinct memory in which my great uncles were there, and they had both served in the Navy, and I don't know, somehow they had some slides of that. And so we watched them, and they told us stories of the ships and the seas. Other times, I remember my great aunts telling us how they, in the summertime, would pull the mattresses outside because it was too hot in the house, and they'd sleep in the summer breeze, under the trees, with the stars above them. Other times I heard stories about how my great-grandpa didn't remember it, but how he immigrated from Germany when he was only two years old. In the car, one of the things that I love that my parents did is that they would tell us stories from when they were growing up. 
I mean, this is how I know things like when my dad was a baby, my grandma left him out underneath a tree one afternoon, and she thought he was so happy. Every time she looked at him, he was kicking his little legs and laughing and gurgling, and that night he would not stop crying. And you know why? He kicked so much he had blisters on the bottom of his feet, and she had to take him to the hospital. <sighs> This is also how I know that my mom, when she was a kid, she and her older brother, they dug a big hole. They put my aunt in the hole, their littlest sister. They put a board on top and rode their bicycles over it. My grandma was not happy when she found that out. But my friends, I heard stories of marriages and divorces, of births and deaths. Sometimes they were stories told to me. Sometimes they were things I overheard the adults talking about. I heard stories about estrangement and good relationships. And here's the thing. As these stories were told, it didn't matter if the stories were about family members who were in-laws or not. It didn't matter if these were stories about step-cousins or half-siblings or full-cousins. It didn't matter if these family members were adopted or related by blood, by blood. These were all the stories of my family, and they were part of me, and I was part of them, and I still am. These stories connect me to my family. They're all my family, and I am theirs. And when we become adopted, when we become baptized, we become part of God's family. We become part of Jesus' family. We're adopted. And when we hear the family stories in the Bible, they become our stories. They become part of who we are, the good ones and the bad ones, right? You don't get to choose not to be related to Uncle So-and-so because of X, Y, Z. He's still your uncle. And so it is. We are also part of those stories of Jesus' genealogy. We are also part of these characters that we see in our biblical text. And also part of who we are is proclaimed in God's voice. At baptism, you are my beloved child. With you, I am well pleased. Now, I said it that way because that's how it is in the Gospel of Matthew. But I think there might have been a little bit more excitement than that even. And so what, I want to share this morning a clip from Toy Story 2. I'm going to give you a little setup. So in this particular clip, Woody has just been kidnapped by a toy collector. And he's in a dark room. He thinks he's all alone. And he's wondering how to get out of his predicament. And so let's watch. Thank you. 
So Jesse and the prospector go on to show Woody shelves that are feel, filled with Woody memorabilia. And he finds out that he was a famous movie star. He even gets to watch old cartoons where he has a lead role. And we have a concept in our Wesleyan theology of a provenient grace. That is a grace that comes before. It's the idea that God loves us and knows us even before we know who God is. And I think that God's delight in our baptism must be something like Jesse's delight. That God must be jumping up and down and proclaiming with delight, it's you, it's you, it's you, it's you, it's you! Yay! Right? And then God calls us by name, like the prospector does for Woody. And when we do the double take upon hearing our name and we stumble backwards, God is there like the prospector saying gently, I don't know if you caught it at the end of that clip, he said, you don't know who you are, do you? Think about that. You don't know who you are, do you? Because then the display cases come open and the tapes of our lives play where we are the star, and God is there. All along the way, God is there, looking at the pictures, saying, you see here, here, you were my beloved child. Oh, and this one, in this moment, I loved you then too. And, and yes, here, even here in this time, I loved you more than you could imagine. You are my beloved child. And with you, I am well pleased. God knows us before we know who God is. And in this sacrament of baptism, we are told who we are, a beloved child of God. And so in just a moment when we're singing the final song, you have the opportunity, if you choose, to come forward and remember your baptism by touching the waters. And for some of us, just like for some of the children, it's a conscious memory. It's something that you actually remember in your mind. Maybe you were old enough or it wasn't that many years ago. For others of us, we don't have a conscious memory. Maybe we were a young child or a baby, or maybe it's just been too long and we've forgotten. And for those of us in that case, the remembering is more symbolic. And there are probably also those here today who have never been baptized. And that's okay. You're still part of CHUM. There's no requirement to be baptized, to be part of this community of faith. But if you would like to participate in this ritual, you can still come forward and touch the waters, remember a defining moment in your own life, 
that help you realize who you are, that calls you to resist evil. And if you're feeling a nudge or a curiosity about baptism, then come talk to me, and we'll figure out what it might look like for you to receive that sacred ritual and sacrament in your own life. And so as the song plays, everyone's, and you're invited to sing too, right, if you're in your, in your seats, but you're invited to come forward, and the bowls are on each end of um, the, the railing at the front. And when you come, I want to invite you to touch the waters, and I want you to listen. Listen in your heart. Listen with your inner ear. Listen to God saying with excitement, it's you. It's you. It's you. And then hear God say your name. Call you by name. Hear God show you who you are as a beloved child of God. And then take a moment in your own heart to reaffirm your covenant with to accept the freedom and power that God gives you, to resist evil, injustice, and oppression in whatever forms they present themselves. So will you come and remember your baptism?